0: listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert Jamie Bronstein only on LA Talk Radio. Hi and welcome to Love Talk Live. Today I have the lovely Eileen Castell. Hi Flew everybody. In from Chicago. Yeah. It was good timing. I was actually going to be in for the weekend, so we made this happen. It's perfect. She is a therapist that we worked together in Chicago. Yeah, long we used time to ago. share <laughs> We used to share office space, but the way is actually really, really cool, how we initially met. Yeah. We were in your class. Yes. About, we just figured out, like, about eight years ago? Oh, nine. Something like that. Yeah. We were kind of
1: taking the class to learn about yoga and breathing and no good, you know, I I just remember falling asleep a lot during the uh, trainings. <laughs> they were they were know. like forty five minute like meditations.
0: Oh yeah, it was delicious. Yes. <laughs> it was, highly recommend yoga nidra. Um, but yeah. I actually was there because the practice that I was working in they they announced it. They said you get CEs for this. They funded it. I don't even know. We never even talked about how you found out about it.
1: I you know in my practice I I'm very holistic and I incorporate information about neurology and biology, you know, research-oriented interventions, as well as some, like, mindfulness and stuff. So it was more just a personal wanting to expand my expertise and, you know, things I can offer clients.
0: So Yeah, and it was yeah. so beneficial. I definitely incorporated that stuff into yeah. my work, yeah. and yeah, it was just nice and relaxing. Yeah. Um, okay. And then we just, I think you had posted in something that she was looking for someone to rent space and we didn't even like, realize yeah. until we actually saw each other. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I had a suite, I had an extra
1: office, needed to fill it, put out an ad, and then Jamie walked through the door. I
0: think we looked at each other and <laughs> we were like, how do we, we know, know each other? And we actually ran into, into each other at an event also. It was, um, if I can name, drop, it was like the Godfrey. It was yes. this like
1: big, you know, the nice Godfrey hotel, hotel in Chicago. Like, there was a roof deck. There was an event and I ran into you in
0: the, in the ladies' room yeah, yeah. we were meant to work together <laughs> and we're meant to work together again <laughs> so anyhow so Eileen is going to talk about all different aspects of breakups and divorces. Um and just to kind of yeah, actually even before we jump into mm-hmm. some questions do you want to just tell our viewers about the work that you do and mm-hmm. how you got into it and and why it's your passion yeah so
1: I um, I started a private practice and it actually grew into a group practice and I when I when I started it, it, it I was trying to find a niche and I wanted it to be something that felt authentic and natural and so I actually was looking at like my clients who was coming to see me what I loved working with and it just kind of it was like the universe just kind of made it happen and it worked. And so I, you know, it's an interesting niche because it's not like you go to school, you know, to be able to support people in their breakup and divorce recoveries. So kind of how I did it was I read every book out there, every blog, I saw trial and error, what worked and didn't work for my clients. I started to read about some of the biology and, and things that are happening that people are going through during that like major grief process I you know Mm -hmm. it's definitely grief work I would I would consider it grief work and so yeah just it really it took off there's so many I mean heartbreaks it's just it's it's a pretty brutal beast to get through so yeah it and it was it was it's awesome seeing people flourish and grow and and move on from their heartbreaks so that's kind of how it came to fruition
0: and everybody at some point in their life experiences a heartbreak. Yeah. yeah. So it's universal. Mm-hmm. And um, I love yeah. that you know there are people like this is this is why we do what we do yeah. because people need people. People need the support. They need people that have done the research. Mm-hmm. They need people that um, will just listen, right? Yeah. And and I, and guide. I do think people
1: can heal from heartbreak without coming in to see professional help. But I do think it's super advantageous because it's gonna, the way I describe it is it's gonna be less painful and you're gonna get through it much quicker if you're coming in to kind of process things with um, a professional who's got some knowledge and expertise on on it. And also, I've survived a few of my own <laughs> heartbreaks. Which maybe you know? we can hear about Like, oh my gosh. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, I could write a book on like, the
0: yeah so we all have some good stories yeah <laughs> also it's amazing to go to a therapist or a coach when you're going through, because it helps you to kind of figure out well um, what not what went wrong but what can I do differently for the next time how can I get to know myself better and more authentically so that I can now show up for the next relationship or maybe even the one yeah, as myself yeah so um, research shows that we have three heartbreaks before we find the person
1: that we're going to spend our time with Interesting. yeah so um, that's just kind of what research says but I, so every relationship hopefully each one that you go through is going to get better and better and better because you're learning you're growing you're understanding um, that difference between like what you want versus what you actually need and trying to like merge those two because what we want isn't always what we actually
0: need. So. I love it yeah. and that's how I live also. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, yeah. and to, to understand that concept is yeah. just magical. Yeah. Okay, so first question for you. Yeah. What would you say in terms of how long on average, what have you seen in terms of how long it takes to heal from a breakup? Yeah. Oh. I think this is like one of the number one
1: questions is like how how long am i going to be in pain like i just want to be over this already i you know it's been x amount of time and i'm, I'm i i don't feel as well as i thought i would or quote unquote should mm-hmm. um so i let me i'll start off short term i think um primarily having and breaking contact with that x is the first and foremost part of the recovery process. Um, I understand there's some nuances like if you work together or there's children involved that's a separate. Mm. We're going to just table that um, momentarily because that's a whole other thing but in general for for heartbreak uh, I would say the recovery process really starts the day that you're no longer in contact. That includes social media, that includes I mean even like seeing what music they're listening to on Spotify or whatever Stopping else is going Stopping
0: stalking. stalking. Yeah. It's yeah. natural. It yeah. happens to everybody.
1: Totally. Um, and so what I really see from my clients is one month, no contact where you're proactively focusing on yourself and your own wellness and your own growth and your own future. Um, one month is you will see exponential movement. Um, and the journey still continues after that but I think the hardest part is that very first month so mm-hmm. once you can get through that with no contact and focusing on yourself um, there that's really I think the key it's like ripping off the band-aid mm-hmm. and it's I know it's so it's hard. hard it's hard it's really hard I think um, most often when people do break up it's it is difficult and people tend to stay in contact via text so especially maybe when they're intoxicated or after night yes. out like I miss you or just a lonely Sunday you know so let's just say we were in a relationship and we broke up doesn't matter who did it um, well let's say you broke up with me right and I'm feeling lonely on a Sunday and I send you a text and I say I you're then early on the breakup you'll probably say a response like that continues to drag on over time there eventually one of us is going to slow down the response time one of us is going to start to um, re-injure the other person there's like a secondary breakup that comes with that so let's say you know a couple weeks or months from now I send you a text and I say I miss you then it's like their time goes by you don't respond right away and then you're like I'm sorry you're having a hard time I wish you the best and it's like oh that's another breakup in a sense it's like a re-injury and so I think that that staying in touch phase can be in the moment
0: like it could feel good
1: it could feel good, right for the moment getting that reassurance that you miss me um, to feel like I'm still cared about That you still love me Or that you're still thinking about me Or that this breakup is or divorce Is just as hard for you as it is for me But at some point one of us Is going to start to move on mm-hmm. And then the person that that's happening to Gets re-injured It's like a second breakup Right. So,
0: But also there are situations Obviously this happens all the time Where people break up And then they do get back together But I feel like what you're saying And, and I agree is that ideally you would take your space mm-hmm. and just know that if you are supposed to be together mm-hmm. you will be but the the constant communication after yeah is just not helpful to heal and even to realize or to figure out do i want to be with this person I again yeah. forever. And actually, so I think you, know, you bring up a really good point. It's you know, how, how many of us go through a breakup
1: or at a point in time went through a breakup and you're like, oh, maybe. And there's still that hope. Someday, maybe right. we might reunite. So, okay. If you have an ex that you want to reunite with, here's what I want to say is you need some space. There has to be some growth. Whatever got in the way for the two of you breaking up, if you reunite a couple months later, most likely the like the work that needed to be done, done to yeah. fix either the communication or the commitment or whatever it might have been, people have to grow and change in order mm-hmm. for you guys to come back together for that relationship to be successful the second time around. So I would be thoughtful about not doing it prematurely.
0: And just always trust that there's a reason why you broke up. Just trust that and try to figure out what it is. But at the very least, and the most important, do that work, Mm -hmm. do that self work, because through that work you will find your answers.
1: Yeah, and I would also, you know, I think to aid in that, um, I think taking someone off, so not just having the, I think having the hope that you're gonna get reunited prolongs the breakup recovery piece. So I wouldn't necessarily say that's that's like a go-to, Um, I actually think it's more proactive to try to take your ex-partner off their pedestal. We tend to romanticize. Yes.
0: Yes. yes.
1: So and I I think um, when we have a breakup there's something called peak end theory and essentially we basically remember the peaks and then we remember the end and we romanticize it. So we actually have to work to take our exes off their pedestal and that um, might look a little ugly, right? That might mean like remembering all the things that didn't work for you, or needs that weren't met, or values that didn't connect together. And kind of, I I even tell some of my clients to like make that list of like, yeah. um, you know, when you're feeling like you miss them and you're ready to reach out to them, kind of read through the list of things that make you feel stronger, like things qualities that you didn't love about them or ways that you were injured, and then create another list that's positive and the affirmative of like what you are looking for um in the positives that you might not have gotten in the in last order relationship to manifest it also. oh i love
0: manifesting yeah. i love manifest. i'm writing a book about it <gasps> really yeah we'll talk oh about it yeah. so
1: much to tell you about um yeah you guys should all come for yeah. lunch after oh my
0: gosh i love manifesting and you should by the way this is a pre-recorded show that's why we're going for lunch <laughs> after <laughs> normally yeah. the show is at five o'clock <laughs> people are like what's going (laughs) on um but I just wanted to say something about what you were just saying which is that also about the whole pedestal thing because oh that's such a juicy topic that this is what I believe not everybody has to believe this but it's also it's the energy between two people it's not even that person Mm -hmm. you know so and that person who is on the pedestal is just a person, mm-hmm. is just a human being. And, yes, there is – energy is a very real thing. It's something when two people come together and they have it's – it's not even just, you know, chemi- it's not chemi- – I'm not talking about chemistry. I'm talking about an energy. You can't see it. You just know it when you feel it. So that's also what I try to help my clients with, to mm-hmm. see that it's, it's not the person. It's that energy. And then if you're supposed to be with that person, mm-hmm. you will – and if not, at least the you know feel grateful that you've experienced that energy because mm-hmm. then you can identify it when it comes again in a different form. But I like the idea of energy. Yeah. Um, I think
1: uh, when I think what's really important is how your partner makes you feel, and I think every relationship. Every partner makes you feel something different some, you know One person might make you feel really silly and goofy another person might make you feel really sexy another person might And I think different partners bring out different things in us and that Mm. that energetic exchange and how it makes us feel is We get when we're dating we get to figure out like which version of myself do I love the best when I'm Looking for my next partner.
0: Yeah, and also ideally the the person that you're supposed to be with would when you're in their essence you just naturally because you can be yourself you get mm-hmm. to you know be all aspects mm-hmm. um, but I love that you know as you go through the dating experience you get to see what feels the best basically
1: so do you I guess then are you, do you feel like on a first or second date like you feel it you you
0: know kind of right off the bat I feel like it depends totally on the situation there are definitely couples that meet right away and then they're together forever. It just takes off. But there are definitely couples, and I've been interviewing a lot of couples recently, where one person was right away, and the other person, it took them a little more time. So, it's really a case-by-case, but this is why love is so cool. Well, and I
1: I. I I love that you're sharing that and I think it really also depends on our attachment styles if someone yeah. has more of an anxious attachment a secure attachment or like an avoidant attachment um, it can really dictate how you interact in early on in a relationship so if you um, like w- one client who I adore who's coming to mind ha- like really wants a relationship and really is ready for love but she gets really scared off what you know pretty Early on in the relationships, um, there's a little bit of an avoidant attachment there, and then once she gets through that, then she feels pretty secure she and good, good in the relationship. So I think it's it's really great if you can kind of work on your own or with a professional kind of figure out what your attachment style is. And there are there's quizzes for those too, or there's a book called The Attached. Um, I think it, it's really important for you to know what your attachment style is and how it's playing out in your current relationship or in your dating life
0: yeah and I would just add to that that it's uh, that people come to relationships with unresolved issues mm-hmm. and insecurities so mm-hmm. and, and it all ties in so just basically do that work before you move on yeah and we yeah. need to go to your next question or yeah. we will just talk forever yeah. and then we're <laughs> gonna go into the lunch hour uh, okay so what would you say are the most difficult aspects of going through a breakup or a divorce
1: yes Okay, so first and foremost, I think it's important to know that love is registered in the same part of our brain as addiction is um, and that when we're feeling in love and infatuated, the same part of our brain gets a lot of blood that also um, obsessive and um, compulsive behaviors, right? (laughs) <laughs> so so, fun. so, you know, in, in a sense, love is very much like an addiction. And you can go back and think about your experiences and think about, you know, okay, when you first meet someone, you're like, you want to be close to them. When you're not with them, you think of, you're kind of obsessively thinking about them. Yeah, you yeah. you want to spend more and more time with them. You dream them. about the future. You dream about the future. The next time you're going to get to see them, you're the missing of them, a.k.a. kind of like cravings. So there's this, there's a correlation and so when you're going through a breakup and a divorce um and you're having to fall out of love especially if you're the injured party the um you'll still the same way you fell in love is going to be similar symptoms as when you're falling out of love like you know when you're getting broken up with the obsessive thoughts wanting to be with the partner, like negotiating in your head or bargaining, like I would do anything to be back with this person. So there there's an interesting parallel yeah. or um, correlation, I should say. <laughs> parallel? Parallel. Parallel and correlation. One word. Parallel um, or, or correlation. <laughs> so I, I think no, you know, kind of understanding that the the cravings you're having or the obsessive kind of thoughts. You might not consider them obsessive, but from a clinical perspective that's just kind of what we would call it um, it's natural and it's part of our biology and it's just a normal part of the process so I think that's one of the harder parts to go through when you're going through a breakup
0: and also to um, I'm sure you work with your clients I do this where we I try to encourage my clients to feel their feelings and to not push them aside you know because it yeah. doesn't it's not gonna feel good yeah yes. <laughs> yeah But the best thing you can do is to go through that and feel it to sit in it
1: it's going to be it, mucky. Go through it. It's going to yeah, be messy. Yeah, you'll get through the other side faster. Yeah. Yes, yeah. 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 I think our society teaches avoidance, and like, it's just innate, and it's rampant. Yeah, it's
0: not, it's just going to be there. Yeah. It's not going to go anywhere unless you do something about it. So,
1: yeah. I think the other, uh, so number two, right, uh, so number two, um, h- hardest part of getting through a breakup or divorce is when you are in a partnership, um, there is a we and an us identity. Um, like Jamie, you're, when you talk about your life, um, I imagine sometimes, or quite often, you're like we or us, like yes. we are going on vacation. or. Yes. Um, and, and, but as a single person, you have to shift your identity to a me and an I. So yes. when you're going through a breakup or a divorce, there's an identity shift from a, a we and an us to a, a me and an I. Hmm. Um, and so that process takes a little bit of, of work do so I mean I think there's a lot of advantageous and really beautiful things that you can do to encourage that for yourself Um, so on one part I do think in a relationship it is really important to maintain some level of me and an I identity yes so there's not too much fusion and codependency Um, but then going through the breakup I think um, you know getting back into your hobbies or diving into them more or kind of figuring out what those hobbies might be um, is just one example.
0: But, yeah. yeah, and it all starts with the I. You mm-hmm. know, if you, if you, and ideally, if you go into a relationship where you have such a strong I, then it has potential to, to has potential to be a forever if it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's working on that. Yeah. That I. Yeah. Before you go in, then it'll be easier <laughs> when yeah. you come out of it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think it strong. can work in the, in the
1: opposite sense. Like if your I and me identity is so strong and you're so independent and you're, it, it might be hard to merge as well uh, yeah. into a relationship.
0: Yeah. So Fine balance. Yeah,
1: darned if you do, darned if you don't, but a nice little, nice little gray area. So I think those are two areas that are part of no matter what kind of the, the recovery process, and I think those are challenging aspects.
0: Yeah. Anything else to add to that, or should we? I think we could probably move on. I mean, we could talk all day, but um, yeah. Okay. So, what would you say are some reasons, um, some things that hold people back from actually going through that process, the healing process, to get to the other side? Okay. So,
1: I think most commonly I find that people are fearful of not finding love again or finding someone like the person Mm -hmm. they just lost because they want someone like them now you're in a good place if you're like yep done with that version of the person (laughs) like moving on but I think fear this um, inherent feeling or belief that love is rare and it's so hard to find Mm -hmm. and and it, it actually is the reverse love is common we just have to do the work to find it you know we put so much legwork into like our education we'll, we'll um, research and move cities and states and spend tons of money on like our education and finding the right university and such and i think it's just as okay to put that much effort into into finding love so i think fear of never finding someone that might love like this idea of like i might not find anyone that loves me again or i might not find something like what I had and I liked what I had
0: yeah and if you love yourself truly and unconditionally you will find somebody that's going to love you because that's where it starts
1: well everybody's lovable I mean we all have we all have our um, quirks
0: and um, yeah and I love that you're bringing that up because people um, yeah I work a lot with people and the fact that until they actually like go into it they don't even realize that they're walking around with this story that they're unlovable, mm-hmm. and until they actually do that work, mm-hmm. and until they start loving themselves, and until they truly do feel lovable, mm-hmm. that is how they manifest.
1: What is when you say like feeling lovable, like or what is what is for you? What does that mean or look like? Because I think it's um, something that's thrown out there a lot. Like you have to love yourself, and um, I think it's really complicated. It's it's a statement, but I think it, there's like so many nuances and. Um, it's really complicated, so I would, yeah, what are you
0: thinking? Oh, of? this is so much longer than like a two-second, we'll talk about it longer. Okay. Um, but basically, yeah, it's these stories that whether it's from your childhood or a, a experience that you had in a relationship that was very detrimental, and you're kind of still stuck there, um, people walk around sleeping, they're not awake mm-hmm. to these internal stories that their ego, their basic self is telling them all day, every day, that is projecting outside to people that, and people are reflecting back to them, oh, you're not lovable. It's all subconscious, you know. Oh, you're not lovable. You're not lovable. So it's better to walk around the world after you do the work, feeling lovable, yeah. and then you will attract. Okay. Love. No. Okay. So with
1: that being said, like I think then it's really important also for people to be really cognizant of the narrative they're creating about their breakup and about the relationship and when you think about um, like the narrative that you've created or your breakup story or your divorce story um, you can figure out what you've created or what you're sharing um, by just listening to yourself as you're talking to friends Um, and I would say be very careful about who you vent to and also what the narrative is that you've created because I think it can kind of um, the narrative or the story your breakup story can really uh be rooted in some of those beliefs or ideas that you've kind of mentioned about the self-love the and perpetuate those negative beliefs like i'm unlovable or everybody leaves me or um i'm not i'm not nothing i do is good enough those types of stories so I, i think really being thoughtful about the narrative You're you're perpetuating by the story that you're telling other people like oh they did this or he did that or she Did this to me and it was a surprise and to I had no idea this was happening and to really think about why 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 is that the story? Why is that the narrative? How does it serve you? Do you want other people to feel sorry for you? Do you want other people to be angry with your ex? Do you want people to give you empathy? Do you want people to understand how much pain you're in and really think about what the narrative is and why and how is it serving you and
0: would a different
1: narrative serve you better or maybe just talking about what happened a little bit differently serve you better in your like recovery process
0: and exactly what you're saying it's the more you're stuck in victim mode the more you're going to just attract the same story again the same story so to change that instead of I'm a victim you know I believe in myself this breakup happened you know for no other reason that it just wasn't right and then just it's not a right fit yeah, yeah and that
1: acceptance process of it it just wasn't a right fit maybe it was timing maybe but to trust yeah yeah and I, and that's part of the work it's not something you know if, if you're listening to this right now and you're in the depths of a heartbreak you're not gonna enjoy what we're talking about right now like you're not there yet it it takes work and uh yeah, I, I think, you know, again, I think people can do this work on their own, but it's going to be much smoother and much quicker doing it with, with a professional that can help you self-reflect and move through these different
0: aspects a little, you know, smoother. Yeah, a sounding board. Yeah. Um, so anything else to add to what holds people back from moving um, on from healing? I'm going to just look at my notes. Um, I think that's a
1: good kind of jumping off point. You know, I think we could keep going down the rabbit hole.
0: Yeah. So let's move on to when you are ready, you're healed, you're healing, you're almost there, you're feeling amazing. What are some tips that you have for when people are getting out there again, they're hopping online, hopping on their apps, and they're dating. Okay. And they're all snazzed up. <laughs> They've gotten their new outfits and, you know, gotten their eyebrows waxed. Yeah. Or <laughs> new hairdo. Yeah. New shoes. Yeah. Um,
1: I think it's important to know what you're looking for Um, I I think on one hand for manifesting you are gonna have your like epic laundry list of everything you're looking for but that's for manifesting for actually going out there and looking I think it's really important that you know what your and I usually say five to seven non-negotiables are I mean these are things that if your partner doesn't have this it's not gonna work. This isn't like sprinkles or icing on the cake. This is, you know, like I might, you know, someone might love um, if their partner's into sports, but if that's not a deal breaker, then why, you know, look for that specifically? So I think knowing and doing the work and figuring out what your values are. So I would say relationship values, right? If it's, um, I can speak for myself, like one of my relationship values is authenticity. I want someone to be authentic. Um, another one of my values is self-growth, like someone that's willing and open to, to learning and growing. For. Knowing your five to seven non-negotiables sets you up for, I think, better success. It also helps you not be looking for a needle in a haystack. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like he has to be or she has to be, you know, X amount height. Um, right. If, if that is a deal breaker, you have to put that on your five to seven list and just know that you're giving something else up because something else is, you know, going to take that place. Um, so that way, when we are starting to fall into fatuation and like and lust with someone, we don't start to negotiate on what we really need and yeah. what we really want um, because we like somebody, which we all do. So knowing your five to seven non-negotiables is really important. Um, and and being really specific about that.
0: And what would you say, you've experienced? Um, have your clients been resistant? Like, oh, I've experiences it. Oh, really? Well, where they come in and they, and they do the negotiating, mm-hmm. but but you know I'm willing to you know I really like him, so it's okay that he isn't blah 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 whatever it is. Um. Yeah, and it's hard, you know, because we our clients need to sit there and they need to go through it we can't be like no end it now mm-hmm. they need to go through the experience mm-hmm. but I feel like sometimes people you know it's harder for them to, to do that work and to see the red flags oh yes 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 yeah and I, th- I think
1: talking about relationship patterns um and the and and also helping um our clients understand the nuances of what's happening so just for example like manipulation I think it's something that sometimes it's really really subtle and harder to see so helping a client understand like an argument and if um, your voice wasn't heard or you weren't allowed to you know um, feel understood by your partner or the argument got turned around on you. I don't think it's a conscious manipulation, but right. for example, that is. And so I think it's important then to educate clients, like, can you go back and course correct that with your partner? And if not, what does this mean um, for you? And you get to, you hold the cards, the you know clients, all of us, we get to decide Absolutely. what we're willing to tolerate, what we're willing to negotiate in a relationship. And we, as at least a therapist, aren't, it's not for us to tell people what to or not to do um, or what's right for, them so it's just helping Mm -hmm. them understand what's going on and then and then the client gets to make the decision on if this is something that they're willing to negotiate or tolerate
0: yeah yeah and and as a therapist um, first of all we don't know we don't know what is good for anybody else besides ourselves we don't know however as trained professionals we can sit there and we can have a feeling of well maybe they might be better off if they're mm-hmm. not together mm-hmm. um, someone else might be better suited for them um, but I mean I learned so long ago you know that as a therapist you sit there and you you know it's not healthy it's not healthy to tell your friend what to do right so right. you right. know you should because people really do need to come to their answers on their own
1: yeah and I think as professionals we can see an unhealthy pattern and maybe of communication um, and help you understand that and then again once you understand that you get to say like i'm okay you know what based on everything else that I, we've got going on in this relationship like i get it that's not awesome and that's annoying but i'm going to let that's fine i accept it
0: and then they see what happens right and then yeah. maybe they will be together forever yeah. happy or not happy mm-hmm. or maybe they will break up eventually or yeah but that will be there journey yeah and
1: this is also kind of a pretty um like as we're talking about this a bit vague it's hard you know without specific incidences to to kind of speak to this but I but I think overall knowing what your five to seven non-negotiables are is is awesome for you to be out there dating or even if you're like unsure about your relationship and trying or maybe even contemplating that divorce or that uh that breakup knowing what your what your non-negotiables are and then seeing if the other partner if your partner can you know move the needle and and like be able to um not give you those values but make enough change that that your values are satisfied enough to stay in that relationship and i think that's important for you to understand and then you can decide if it's the right relationship for you or not but that's that's also another whole probably show, but yeah. um, I think yeah. So in terms of once you're done with a breakup, moving forward, I think that's really important to know for yourself.
0: And in my book, I actually have it's red flags, and I have this list, and it spells out a word. So it's very helpful. People can like p- keep it in their pocket on dates. <laughs> they see. Oh wait, that's on my list. Oh okay, oh, wait, I'm out here. Can't wait
1: to hear about <laughs> what these are. Wow.
0: I will share. Yeah. Um, so the cool girl. Tell me about the cool girl.
1: Um, so this could be the cool guy or the cool girl, but we'll talk about the cool girl. Um, and, and if there are some cool guys out there, yeah. just, you know, yeah. you can, <laughs> So can understand. Essentially what, um, when I say the, the cool girl, so when you're dating and you're starting to like somebody and you're starting to spend a little bit more time together, I think a lot of us tend to be uncomfortable with bringing up some initial Conversations about things we didn't like or things that annoyed us or um, things that we took issue with or that we would like to speak up about, but we don't want to start an argument or we don't want to scare the person off, and everything's new and you don't really know the person, and so you're a little avoidant of bringing things up. It could be anything from, like, hey man, like, you, I thought we were going out Thursday and I never heard from you, or you were 20 minutes late to our date. It could, you know, it could be something like that, or it could be maybe something a little bit bigger. But I think I I like to encourage my clients to self advocate and find that that voice to bring up those. I'll just call them difficult conversations. Um, not because I want them to stir up the pot and see what happens, but knowing how a partner a potential partner is going to make you feel heard is going to are they going to take accountability are they going to course correct and try to repair the whatever happened baby rupture big rupture Mm -hmm. um and how they talk things out with you it's really important i would say within the first three months to really find out how does this person argue? Because one of the biggest things in relationships is not that couples argue, as you know, but it's how you talk through things and what the outcome is. So I really encourage my clients not to be the cool girl and just, like, let things go and play chill and, like, oh, yeah, that's fine. I can meet you out with your friends. Like, no, we don't We don't have to go on a date. That's fine. Um, if that's something, you know, to, to bring up these conversations because it's a really, really great test to see what's going to happen later in the relationship
0: and it sets the tone for yeah. like whether it's big or small just to bring up what's what's present mm-hmm. for you yeah yeah
1: sets the tone um yeah. do you demand respect do you and maybe demand's not the right word but do you want to be respected do you you know if want someone to hold their their keep their word and follow through and be honorable and and these don't have to difficult conversations don't have to be like we need we need need to to talk talk. (laughs) um it can be just it can be be casual it can be chill it could be yeah just like kind of put in there maybe if you're driving or you're in a cab or it could just be like hey you know like I'm super excited to see you tonight you know I was bummed out I didn't see you on Thursday just next time like you know I just need to know in advance if you're not you know if you need to
0: cancel um I would really I would really appreciate that And I love that you are bringing up this topic because people really, they want to, they don't want, they fear that the relationship is going to end so much that it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy if they keep doing these behaviors or lack of behaviors, lack of using their voice, Mm -hmm. and then the relationship ends up ending because it wasn't authentic and they weren't sharing how they were feeling. Or later
1: in the relationship, they decide, oh, now I feel safe to share and, and then their the partner's, partners like, like wait what's happening I didn't yeah. I thought you were super well yeah. cool or um, the whole it, tone yeah shifted so, yeah so I think it's important to test those things out early on because you're gonna have arguments it happens you're gonna have conflict you're gonna have disagreements you're gonna have um, moments where you feel disrespected not that the other person did it on purpose but they're gonna happen and I don't uh, you know I don't think you have to talk about every single one of those that might be a lot but I think it's important as like a general theme like hey in general you know let me know if you have to cancel and not two hours in advance like if you could let me know the day before so I'm not sitting around on my Friday night whatever it might be and I like that you're saying
0: like kind of choose your battles pick your battles Mm -hmm. Um, but definitely the message here is to use your voice Mm -hmm. use your voice express how you're feeling and self-advocate
1: and I and I think I guess the other thing I'll I'll add to that is coming when you are having these difficult conversations coming from a place of curiosity is my favorite go-to you know saying like hey I you know I wondered why this maybe happened like can you help me understand more or tell me about that and and that way your partner is not on the defense yeah. and they feel more like, oh, well, this is why, or "This, th- these are my thoughts. And then you can kind of go from there. But a place of curiosity keeps things totally neutral. Nobody's. Love it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So. And using I statements. I'm feeling this way. Not you did this, you did it. You made me feel. Just. This is how mm-hmm. I'm feeling, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm sharing it with you. Mm-hmm. And then I'm curious. Yeah, yeah. you guys yeah. are all going to be laughing when you use yeah. that language. I'm, curi- I'm just wondering. I'm just like, curious. Could uh, you? <laughs> call us. Yeah, call they us. Need some support. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, anything else to add to this yeah. lovely oh my gosh, discussion? So much. Um, <laughs>
1: I know we. Can... we have, I know we're limited on time. I think, as far as online dating goes, um, you know, it, I I think it's what I strongly recommend. Are online dating um, have a screener phone call before you take the time to shower, go across town, spend the time, spend the money. I think a even if it's ten minutes, just like hey, yeah. how are you? Keep Where do brief. you live? What do you do for a living? Like how many members are in your family? Where do you grow up? Like all that kind of foundational stuff. I for a couple of reasons. One, you can rule out some like outliers of people like you. You know you don't want to go on a date with and number two it sets you up to feel a little bit more comfortable on the date because you feel like you've already kind of gotten to know the person a little bit. Um, The other thing I would recommend on a first date is scheduling just like an hour date and saying like oh I have you know I can sure love to meet you I can meet from whatever seven to eight and then I got to get home and walk my dog or I got to meet my friend for dinner or that for you 30 minutes in you can say we should probably grab the check like I have to walk my dog or grab my girlfriends for dinner and if you are enjoying yourself you know and then hope you could be out of there in 45 minutes and if you're enjoying yourself you can be like oh you know what I'm, I'm gonna just order my dog walker at least in Chicago we have I think you guys in LA are <laughs> dog, dog walkers walk. like um, on-demand dog walkers or um, so like oh actually my girlfriend just canceled and or my my guy's just canceled. Um, I can hang out a little longer if you're enjoying it. So, yeah. Um, there was one other thing I was gonna say about
0: um, first online dates, but I,
1: I think about it. Yeah.
0: I was gonna say that just it's okay to be selfish in dating. It's all about you. You know, like even if you hadn't scheduled it for a certain amount of time, just if you if you're not feeling it, you know, just very sweetly say you know. I have to go, I have an early, whatever you need to say in the moment, but just honor your needs mm-hmm. because people avoid dating because mm-hmm. they're like, oh, I don't wanna have to go for two hours. And I say, you don't have to go for two hours. Also getting back to the conversation beforehand, mm-hmm. love the idea, if you can, great, if not, it's it's okay. But any type of communication, I always say like, just keep that communication before you actually meet the person to a minimum. like. I have clients that come in and they, and they say, oh, my God, for months we spoke on the phone and it was amazing, but then we got in person and it was not good. Because it's all about, that, like I said, that energy and that and the chemistry when mm-hmm. you're in person. So it's just a waste of time and energy. You know, just get in person. But, yes, a little screening, a little getting yeah. a sense of the yeah. person beforehand is great.
1: Yeah, because people get burnt out
0: pretty quick from, from online dating. Yeah, if dating you're doing this, like – Putting so much into
1: it. Yeah. I remembered what I was going to say. She's
0: smart. Um, Smart cookie.
1: Keeping it going. So I think the other thing is also, uh, um, I find that people overestimate how injured the other partner is going to be with online dating, whether you've gone on one or four or five dates, um, about how injured the other person is going to be if you have to say, this this isn't working for me. And I find that people do, right, the, the ghosting or the like, kind of the fade out where you're texting but you start to really slow down the texting but you don't actually ever just say like hey like it was really nice to meet you I think you're there's a lot of great aspects about you this and this and unfortunately I don't think this is the right fit and just let the anxiety go and trust that the other partner is not the other person's not gonna like become devastated or truly injured. If they do, there's other stuff going on for them, right, like about rejection things. or something else. But it's not your responsibility that I think it's, it's just important to kind of put closure closure if, if, if you're done and it's not a good fit. So.
0: And of course we're all empathetic and I agree with you wholeheartedly and, and I feel that way now, a long time ago, in 2003 specifically, I had just moved to LA And I was online, I was dating all these guys, going on lots of dates, and just by the process of dating in general, it's not like I was going to like every guy. And I remember talking to my grandma on the phone once and just crying hysterically, because my heart was going out to these guys. I'm like, I just feel so bad. And obviously, that was like five thousand years ago, and I've evolved, and I've learned so much. Um, and I, I agree, this is a that's a good. That's also about you know honoring yourself, and
1: mm-hmm. and
0: of course you're empathetic and you feel for the other person, but and also just remind yourself that things are meant to be, and that person is going to find
1: yeah, and who they're supposed to tr- be yeah, and trust that other people can take care of themselves. I mean, the person you're going on a date with has lived at least eighteen years, twenty years, 30, 40. Um
0: there might be some teenagers out there. Figuring <laughs> out
1: like you know how to get through hard things and so just trust that the other person knows how to take care of themselves even if they are disappointed or hurt.
0: Because um, they're human. Yeah. Yeah. Or and they yeah, that's their journey, but to send to send love and light, yeah. Just for their process and their yeah. journey. I love that. Okay. Well, thank you so much yeah. for doing the show. It's fun. It's I love talking. Shop and psych- everything psychology. I yes, I could I could talk. Forever, Um, so how can people find you?
1: So my group practice in Chicago is next.
0: Whoa, next (laughs) Next step
1: Step counseling. Uh, The website is nextstepcounselingchicago.com. So you can find us there. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. And is it next step counseling? It's next step counseling Chicago, and. Yeah, so you can find us on social media, reach out to us on um, our website.
0: And if you have any questions for me, Jamie, J-A-I-M-E, at therelationshipexpert.com, or you can contact me on my website, therelationshipexpert.com. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Hope everybody has a wonderful day or night. You're listening to Love Talk Live with the relationship expert, Jamie Bronstein, only on LA Talk Radio.